Hey there, my name is Valentin Umbach, and you're listening to Analytics Anonymous, the show where I talk with analytics leaders and practitioners about the challenge of making better decisions with data. And today I'm joined by David Jayatilaki. Um, for the second time, um, David and I talked already last year on this show, and I'm super happy to have you back, David. Um, a lot happened since last year, since we talked, actually. Most recently, you're a co-founder of um, Delphi, um, building a, an, an AI tool for data analytics and self-service. So I'm curious to hear more about that, of course. But maybe you can start by giving us a, a quick introduction to yourself again for, for people who don't know you yet. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm David. I've been in data for 12, 13 years. I've done different roles from analytics uh, engineer to analyst, data engineer, a little bit of data science. And then like for the latter half of my time as what you might say as a data practitioner, I've been leading different data teams from like the sizes of like two, piece of, two people teams to like 25 person teams, which are like teams of teams. And I've done, I've worked in a few different industries as well. So like anything from like grocery to fintech, uh, e-commerce and payments, like the kind of different spaces I've been in. Uh, yeah, so that's a, that's a bit about me. I've, I've been in the data startup world uh, over the last year, working in a few different companies, including Metaplane and Avora. And yeah, most recently I've, founded Delphi with uh, Michael Evan, who's also a fellow member of the DBT community, with, which we're both kind of like now, I guess, long-standing members of. I think when we joined, it was probably 2,000 people, and now it's about 60,000 people, That's I think, crazy, just yeah. in last mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good yeah. call, by the way, to um, if there is still anybody out there who doesn't know the DBT Slack community, um, you should definitely check it out. It's the best place to meet other data folks, I think. Or it's, it's it, that's, that's a question. Maybe we can talk about it later, but it's, it's a great place for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So um, before we get into more details about, uh, about Delphi, and of course, I'm curious to learn more about that. Um, I mean, I already said it's an AI tool, and so maybe I just want to—I just wanted to maybe take a few minutes to talk about you know what's going on with AI at the moment in general. And and when I go online on Twitter or anywhere, it's it's impossible to escape you know the excitement and maybe sometimes also concern uh, of people you know around the latest developments and you know things like GPT four obviously now or or maybe Mid Journey uh, for for image generation, and people say like those are the drop everything moments. Now you like. Those things will change everything we do, and and we we have to quickly figure out what that means for us. I mean, how do you feel about this whole thing? I I agree with that. I, I the way I see it is it's another technological step change. Like if you think about human history, you can kind of start at like things like the wheel, and then the printing press, and the loom, combine harvester. Uh, then you've got the computer, the database, the cloud. This is like the next thing, I think. And I, I, I think I saw someone say that they thought this could be as big as the the advent of the internet, like these tools, right? Which is huge. That's a, mm. that's a very big statement. I, I don't know about that. I know it's going to be another big step change. And I think that like yeah. with any of them, there's this big rush to use them. Like imagine a world without databases and someone made one tomorrow, right? The first database. And suddenly a load of people rush around trying to build applications on top of it. And that's what's happening 
today with the large language models. Yeah, exactly. And and I also agree. I mean, nobody knows what will happen next. I mean, that is the, the, the most exciting thing. I think that it's so hard to predict. But why I agree with this all of this hype, why I don't think it's an it's it's hype really is it's so easy to 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 get excited when you try out these tools. It's I think it, it just when I the first time I think ChatGPT was released in end of November last year and the first time I tried that out, it just feels like magic somehow and it's it, it feels unreal and, and yeah, it just gets better and better and um yeah it's nobody has to explain it to you basically like I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the beginning of us, there were some comparisons to the whole crypto hype over the last years. And that was, it's so difficult to explain what this is about. Like people don't understand it intuitively, but this is so I easy still to don't understand. understand it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's over. <laughs> Thank God. But no, um, yeah, well, AI is, I think it's here to stay for sure. Um, and um, well, okay, so now coming back to you, David, I mean, you just mentioned that also in the last year you've worked uh, in, in other data startups, um, Metaplane, I think doing data observability and, and Avora also doing, uh, I think, anomaly detection business observability um, topics. So is it, is it fair to say that, that you're um, a data tool vendor now, David? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose for me, if I'm not going to be like a data practitioner in a company where I'm doing data work, then if if I'm going to be building like a software business, it should really be a data one. Otherwise, I'm kind of quite lost. I'm not like hmm. a strong enough like software engineer to just go and be a generalist and work at any software company. It, it makes sense for me to work in data because I, you know, I have my own voice of the customer in my own head from being that customer. Sure. And knowing knowing what my needs were and consistently are from talking to so many other people in the data space yeah yeah so maybe maybe just one bit maybe controversial question so do you think as, as also a, as a customer in this space do we need more data tools um it depends is what i'd say right <laughs> so do we need do we need tools that um add to the stack and just say, oh, let's take, ends up make, making us move from, say like 10 to 13 tools in the stack <laughs> without really adding massive value, probably yeah. not. And we've seen that like some of, some of the, some of the tools that got funded in 2021, for example, um, they're not having huge adoption. Right, because they were kind mm. of speculative. They, so they had good ideas. A lot. Some of them had really good ideas, but like, were they really needed? And then, especially when you come into a tighter funding and tighter budget period that we're coming into, businesses are saying, "Well, do, which of the things do you really need to keep in your stack?" And they're like, "Well, I need my, I need Snowflake, and I need Fivetran, I need my BI tool. <laughs> Every, everything else is kind of sure. like, I could probably live without it to an extent." Mm, yeah, 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 true. And and I, you know, leading uh, a, a data team myself, I how I think about it is also not just budget, you know, and, and you know, f finance, uh, but it, it also adds complexity every time you add a new tool. I mean, exactly. of course, there's there's always the the hope that they will solve some problem, but just you have additional complexity of of, of, of other tools that you need to manage somehow and integrate with each other and so on. Yeah. Um, all right, coming back now to AI, David, and 
in relation to data tools. And I mean, it's um, I mean, I, I want to learn a bit more about Delphi, but it's it's also I think you're not the first tool that is kind of trying to bring these things together. Now it's uh, I've seen several tools um, yes. like Hex uh, or or HyperQuery that kind of integrating some AI capabilities into analytics uh, data tools. Um, and and I yeah, I think, yeah, again, as, as with AI in general, probably nobody knows for sure where this will lead, what is the best the best way to use AI here. But I'm curious to hear your take and maybe about, yeah, maybe then hear about, a bit about Delphi and how you're trying to solve that there. Yeah. So uh, you're absolutely right. There are so many tools, not only the existing players like HyperCurry and Hex, but there's so many new tools coming out like Seek, uh, Seek and Channel, like some of the other ones in the space who've been funded and are doing what I would call text-to-SQL. And there's mm. there, it's not just them. There's probably 20, 30, 40 of those companies coming up, right? And wow. that's a lot. Um, one of the things that worries me about that approach is if you think about what happens if, if you're giving a whole database schema to an LLM to decide how to create a query, you're effectively generating a semantic layer on the fly every time the query you ask it a query. And that's kind of scary because meaning doesn't change that often, if, if really at all. And so why would you want it to have, why would you want to like introduce like probability <laughs> into what the meaning of your data is? And I guess the, the, the answer is, is ease. Right, mm. because then you don't need to bother to define the semantic layer or how data fits together. But the the problem is, is in this space, if we want to um, facilitate self serve and have a tool that people trust to in, interact with and answer their questions, they really have to trust in it, especially with the enhanced level of automation that's coming about because of uh, AI and LLMs. Um, so if there's like a, a big probability that the tool will give you a wrong answer because it's, it's having to figure out meaning on the fly, it, it probably means that that tool will become less, not trusted very quickly and then not used. And I think that's one of the worrying things about everyone going into that space and actually where we have a contrarian like viewpoint. Yeah, that's that's very interesting, and I mean, I, I, it's easy to imagine how if you answer if if you ask that AI a question and maybe someone else asks in a slightly different way, they might get different answers, and they might yeah, that might lead to distrust. I mean, that's so so. I'm curious how you how you solve that, like the the self serve use case. I mean, another use case that I think where I see I I, I for, for me it's easier to see the application. Uh, like the use for AI is, um, you, you mentioned text to SQL, is basically as a productivity tool for 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 um, analysts or or analytics engineers that will not blindly maybe trust the results outputted by the AI, but just it's quicker to to write some SQL, some boilerplate SQL code maybe that um, they still have to have to you know validate it and and validate the results. But I, I can see that use case as well, you know, for for technical people just to increase their productivity, basically. But I think what you're doing is something else. You you really want to address the also the non-technical people with self-serve, right? 
Yeah. So our, our philosophy is to use semantic layers because mm. there's been a big proliferation in them. You know, DBT launching their own, now acquiring Transform, and also players like Cube, who also have a standalone semantic layer that's pretty well used. And also all of the semantic layers attached to BI tools like Looker, ThoughtSpot, Metabase, uh, Lightdash, Bizu. There's there's so many now which have these semantic layers attached to them. And why why not use that? And and what our fundamental belief is if a human has defined the meaning in the semantic mm. layer, and then we use the large language model to generate the request to the semantic layer. It's a much, much safer way of coming to an answer. It's so much more constrained because you could think about the semantic layer as a drawer of items, you know, metrics, dimensions, entities that you could want to know about. If someone asks a question and the things that they ask about aren't in there, you can say, oh, I'm sorry, we can't answer the question. Your question doesn't seem similar to any of these entities. Here are some questions that other people have asked and we've answered successfully and it's been mm -hmm. validated. Or here are some things in the semantic layer that you can ask questions about. And this is great, I think, because fundamentally today, if you go to an analyst and say, oh, I want to know about this thing, if they, if they don't have data about it, they'll say, sorry, I can't help you. We don't have it. Or if the data is not safe, they'll say, you know, sorry, I don't want to give you that because the data we've got is incomplete or inaccurate and I don't want to you know, publish that kind of data. And that's the joy of the semantic layer, because the semantic layer, by definition, is that, right? This is safe data that the analyst or the analytics engineer has wanted to expose to the business in a, in a structured and well-defined way. So you kind, of, yeah. you kind of get the benefits of the LLM interface, which allows users to ask things in a natural language, but you get the strengths of the analytics engineering rigor in, in defining the meaning of the data model. Okay, I, I, I understand. So basically, the the work of of modeling the data and finding the semantic layer basically is still uh, will will still be there in in, in this model. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, I'm I'm curious also what you think. I mean, maybe with a tool like Delphi, but also maybe in a bigger picture of where we are moving with AI in in data analytics. What do you think will will be the, the role of, of the data analyst or, or maybe the analytics engineer. So, so how will their roles change, do you think? Yeah, so I can imagine that some of the more, I'd say, boring or boilerplate work they do will disappear. Because even today, mm. you've got the likes of packages that ELT providers give you for their sources. And I think those will get better because you can just you can either you they'll either publish better ones or you can just generate your own with a large language model and they could actually be quite good because it's not shifting much and it's pretty um it's pretty well structured um and so then you've got the analytics engineers doing some of the more deeper work like entity resolution joining those different sources of data together single customer view. So they're doing actually interesting and difficult work, dealing with incrementality, mm. de dealing with the performance optimization of their specific uh, like data warehouse. So I still think that's going to be there for a while. Um, yeah. that, that's where I see it. With analysts, it's interesting because many junior analysts, and I was this person at a time, 
you, you kind of yeah. get used as the semantic layer, right? Your stakeholders just come and ask you little questions <laughs> and you just go and answer them quickly because you know what, what query to run, you know what column to sum, and then you are the semantic layer to them and the, and the natural language interface, right? And I think that's going to go, right? That's exactly what we're looking to replace with Delphi. But to be honest, I don't think analysts ever liked that role or certainly not doing it for any length of time. So I think for analysts, what will be left are, is dealing with like more abstract problems that the business has that it, it'll be very right. difficult for a large language model to solve. You know, it's like some kind of recommendation, like should we merge products or, you know, should we, you know, it's, it's these kind of things where actually it's the most rewarding work that analysts would hope to do anyway. I don't see that going because it's just too abstract for hmm. a machine to understand. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that's. I also think that's where the analysts bring their most values. If they understand the business problem, they understand what what needs to be solved, and then come up with ways to you know find answers in the data. Um, and then there's all the grunt work, all the like, like preparing the data, finding the data, preparing preparing the data, doing the analysis, and then it's actually back to you know translating these results into into business recommendations and you know helping helping yeah. your stakeholders and i think yeah uh, it makes a lot of sense that that still required um and i can think i can think like with things like hex like hex magic you hmm. can see those analysts speeding that process up right because rather than them having to write some code to do like some kind of statistical analysis in python or something they'll just ask the hex magic to generate that code and because it's a small component and they can see oh yeah that looks fine it's taken the inputs it's produced the outputs i expected but they're not having to debug and write you know something that might have taken them half a day to write that's just saved you know yeah yeah sure sure <clears throat> and um i mean what it's it's again one of these questions where probably there's there's no clear answer but i'm just curious where do you see the biggest um, or, or things that AI will never solve. Do you think that some, that that even exists? Will will at some point will AI do also all of this, or are there some things that these language models do not solve? It's a it's a really strange question. I, I'd probably answer it. In a, it no, it's a, it's not a strange question, but I think about it in a strange way. And if you think about that, AI has already been applied to like art and you know generating mm. like like visual art and poetry and things like that. And yes, it's a bit weird at the moment. Oh, some of it's amazing. Like I saw this yeah. like image of the of Big Ben in the style of Van Gogh and I thought, wow, that's really nice. But it's like it's, often it's a, it's not very like you uh uniquely like it's not it's not like this its own style. It's like some mash or an existing style that's been applied. And mm. So when you think about AI solving things in those spaces, and I've used Midjourney and Dolly to generate art for things that I've wanted to use because it didn't matter. It was mm. like for some cor some corporate use case. Um, and given that it's it's solving those sorts of problems, that that I I kind of see it as um, like what what level is this is this operating at like if it's an operational level i fundamentally believe ai can solve all of that at some point if it's at a tactical level hmm. it becomes a bit more difficult because there's you know it has to measure trade offs and 
but it's fundamentally that's still an optimization problem and it's you know providing the right data to, for it to make the right decision then when you start going to a strategic level i think that's where it really will struggle because there's so much there where you don't have data and you're trying to make a decision about going to some new space where you don't know and and maybe you'll have to make that decision on logic and not with data that's the space i think it will really struggle to struggle to enter for for a really long time um because mm. so, you know if you think about what these large language models are doing they're not being like programmed to to make like some kind of strategic uh decision making process it's not working like that so hmm. I, I i yeah i think i think they'll they will struggle to enter that space and that's where i think like the senior analysts will be still be very valuable because they can think like that you know yeah yeah i think i mean i i i would say if i agree with that and and i think um one of the for me the surprising things about these large language models though is when i mean I'm, i don't claim to really fully understand what's going on in, in underneath i think yeah that a lot of people are amazed by what's actually happening but it's it's fairly like the the basic principle is fairly simple it's this always kind of a like generating token by token like going as far as i know it's basically you know chat gpt it's starting out or gpt4 it's starting out generating you know, these tokens, these words or, or b b bits of information without planning out where it will land in the end. Basically, it's, it yeah. doesn't really have the strategy of like, or this big picture. And the amazing thing for me is that the result of it still often appears as if it was really intelligent and it was really like planning to do something. And I mean, uh, you know, my background is in psychology and neuroscience. And basically what this gives me a lot to think about how our own brain or our own mind is actually working. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's much simpler than we think. <laughs> maybe, but then I, I also wonder that because it's learning from text, right? Maybe it's just learning about how we would think and how we would have said something. And therefore it sounds good because it sounds like us, <laughs> but it's not really like, it's not really thinking, you know, it's, it's not gonna, what's it gonna do yeah. in a completely new situation? I don't know. True, true. So it's basically, it's good at imitating us, at imitating whatever it's learned yeah. or observed from us. Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think like but, at a tactical yeah. level, it could do well, right? Because, oh, how do I optimize my marketing spend? Oh, well, let's look at our channels, look for diminishing return. It could probably figure that all out, right? And that's, mm. that's, that's fine. And, but when it goes above that, I think, is it going to work? I have a question, David. So um, I think in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years. So 10 years ago, when I think about data, I was all about data science. Data scientist was, you know, the sexiest job. And, and it was all about machine learning as well. And, and then um, kind of, I don't know, at least my, in, in my observation, we've kind of moved more towards, you know, more, more simpler, like, things like data modeling maybe business intelligence or analytics reporting you know just getting we realize i mean it's it's about you know we need to get the the basics right basically and and uh, metrics and things like that and we're not hiring data data scientists in most places but analytics engineers um i mean is this um and and now kind of all of a sudden we have this you know ai which is kind of 
built on top of all of this machine learning that happened, you know, or was developed uh, all, all along. I mean, do you think this is changing also the the job titles or the roles that data folks will have over time again? Like will will machine learning or data science become more relevant or new jobs that we don't know yet? Yeah, I, th I think there will be new jobs. But like one thing I'd share first though is partly why they've made these huge jumps with these models is because of data engineering. They've hmm. just generate they've generated the means to produce fantastically high quality and large data sets to feed the models. And that's what's making the models good more than I think necessarily like any like new model technology in, inside how they work compared to some of the other. I don't think they're as different to the previous generation of models that we had before. I actually think the data engineering has provided a huge lift for them. Um, yeah, that's, that's but, a super interesting, yeah. Yeah, but then regards to your question about will there be new roles, like you can already see things like prompt engineering, <laughs> which is something we obviously do, uh, becoming <laughs> becoming a, a job title inside software engineering and even probably data engineering. Yeah, uh, so maybe tell me a bit more about then, you know, back to Delphi, so what, what you're doing. So we haven't really talked about details, how, how it actually works or, or how... Like, yeah. how can I imagine that I would be using that product? Yeah, so with Delphi, because we always envisioned that this was for the non-technical stakeholder to safely access data and quickly access data, where do they ask their data team things today? And they ask their Slack. data th team... Slack, exactly, Slack. And so that's where <laughs> we started. Because, you know, fundamentally, those data stakeholders, they hate being asked to fill some Jira request. They don't like that. They don't do it particularly well or consistently. And so they typically end up coming back to Slack, even at the best organizations that have tried to get people to fill in Jira tickets, it doesn't work properly. Um, so yeah, we thought, well, let's let's not try and fight them on where they want to interface people. So instead of saying, hey, hey Valentin, or hey, David on Slack, um, let's just say, hey, Delphi on Slack and ask them the same question. Mm. That's, that's our opening philosophy of like how they should access it. That's not to say we'll always stay in Slack. Like, Yes, we'll definitely support Teams, which is not very different to Slack, and maybe sure. email, and we will have a standalone app in the future. But we wanted to start somewhere where this is where they are asking people things today. Hmm. And and then maybe um, you can tell or tell me a bit about what's then happening, you know, behind the scenes when I ask Delphi and Slack. So what's what's happening under the hood a little bit, maybe? Yes. Yeah, so, so what's happening under the hood is like you're you're asking a question and then we are finding similar items in the or objects in the semantic layer to your question and we we're, we're using that to then generate the query that we would ask you know that we would make to the semantic layer and but along the way we're doing things like finding existing work so for example in any bi tool that uses a semantic layer Every dashboard or graph has associated semantic objects because that's what mm. the graph is made of, is made of different semantic objects composed in on the x-axis, the y-axis, the legend, and uh, whatever filters. So if you, th if you think about that, your question can be similar to an existing piece of work. So today we do that with um, mm. like, Lightdash and Metabase. Um, so you so when you ask a question if we can kind of suggest 
existing work that's similar to your question that could be a solution. And that's great because chances are an analyst or someone who's familiar with your data has made that dashboard. And so number one, it, it, right. it, it, it solves for consistency, right? Rather than everyone making a new thing each time, they're going to go back to the same thing that's well used and well trusted. And also then it's a safe answer because because of who's made it. So we're, we're, we're valuing the input of the analyst into this into this platform. Then finally, we can make a new semantic request. And one great thing about this is when you use the semantic request, it's so constrained in what it can have. It's, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's going to be a six to 10 line uh, API request, right? With metrics, dimensions, filters, things that an analyst at a glance would know, you know, because they've defined these things themselves. So like if we were to get an analyst to validate the request, like either before the data is sent to the user or afterwards, analysts can look at that request and validate it in potentially seconds because they'll look at this, what's the question? This is the question. Okay, what metrics have been pulled? This and this dimension. Yeah, that looks good. That's what I'd have done. And that's it. It's a very quick validation process. With text to SQL, if an analyst hmm. is asked to validate that, they're looking at possibly some 200-line machine-generated SQL, and they're like, and I know I would say this, is, I really don't want to validate this. I'd rather just write you this from scratch because <laughs> this is going to be quicker than me validating someone else's code, right? And I think that's that's like part of the joy of our approach is we, we kind of know we have a world to draw upon, whereas... For a text to SQL, you kind of don't. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that makes sense. And so to set it up, basically, I connected them to my like dash or metabase instance in some way. Um, yeah, and it so, will kind of read yes. all of the. Hmm? Yeah. So today we support DBT semantic layer, light dash, and metabase semantic layers. Yeah. So you just provide your API key for those, and as you ask you don't even it doesn't need to like find the things in there immediately it can do that on the fly so it you when you ask a question it can call those semantic layers and find what's in them what's similar to your question and then we like we chain together a, a bunch of api calls we use openai quite a lot at the moment and so from generating the request and showing you the answer yeah, amazing. I mean, I really like this approach of um, you, you said, like, we're not trying to fight the stakeholders or trying to basically push them into a self-serve system that, that we have to ex explain to them, we have to teach them, we have to help them use it. And um, they will still be asking questions on Slack instead. We just come to them. And uh, I mean, it sounds very promising. I'm actually really curious to try this out, to be honest. Yeah, we're, because we're it's, welcome. it's a, yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe one 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 related discussion because you mentioned this uh, a lot now is the semantic layer. I'm curious. I mean, you build a lot on on these uh, existing or maybe you know semantic layers that are still being developed. I'm curious to, to hear your takes here. What where you see this this whole space going? So you mentioned before DBT has acquired um, um, Transform uh, just recently, but they've also built their own metrics layer in the past, um, which yeah. is still still a thing. Um, and then some BI tools have their own semantic layer. So do you have like, what's, what's your vision or what's your idea of where this field is moving? Yeah. So I guess with DBT, let's start there. Um, 
Their current semantic there, I don't, you know, I think Tristan published in, in a blog recently that uh, what, about two and a half percent of DBT uh, organizations use the, the older semantic layer. Uh, I, and I think what they'll do is hopefully relatively quickly start integrating some transform features into that, into that. So how the APIs look won't, is not like guaranteed at this point, but you, you know, fundamentally the way metric flow defines a semantic layer, that is going to be the future of how you define uh, mm -hmm. semantic layer and dbt it's then just how that's served that's i think up for debate at the moment yeah, yeah. so that's that um, and i and by the I way we that... yeah oh sorry um i was no, just sorry say, go, I, go, go go ahead go ahead I, I was just gonna say that i think that's gonna be a big semantic layer that you know the dbt community now that we're happy with the standard um it will proliferate well and they'll stick with it and push that forward and that that's great but there's also all of the semantic layers in those bi tools that we've talked about but what what i think a lot of people have realized is that when the semantic layers in the bi tool you come across these problems like the bi tool gets acquired by someone or and then you you're kind of stuck where you can't get your semantic layer out to use for something else it's, hmm. it's not a great experience so i i really like the way that dbt and cube are you know standalone mm -hmm. and then you can use your you can use your semantic layer for many different things and that that that's something i, I really support cube's really good as well they've got thousands of github stars i think thousands of organizations mm -hmm. using their their semantic layer and they've just launched cube cloud and that's got a few hundred orgs on it already so they're going to do well and i think they already do well they have a slightly different like go to market like to dbt in that i think they they're they're typically being used by software engineers for embedded analytics use cases now rather than for like mm -hmm. our typical use case which is like bi or analytics use cases right yeah um i mean i i agree with this idea of the the standalone semantic layer i mean outside of the bi tool but i also really think that in particular, the integration with DBT is very, very promising because it's a tool that almost every data team uses already. And you, again, we talked before about the complexity of your stack and this would, you would not have to add another like tool that layer yes. would kind of be integrated already. That makes it very attractive. I mean, we've, in our team, we've um, played around quite a bit with the, with the built-in um, metrics layer in DBT, um, which is it's nice. I think it's it's uh, it's it's nice, but we had a lot of hiccups that we encountered, and you know some of the just basically the queries that that are produced can be super super heavy and um, and problematic sometimes. So we haven't really found a, a, a great way to use it at <laughs> so far. We're super curious to you know either either still use that or or then maybe the new you know metric flow um, once that's that's integrated. Yeah, I just think the the workflow of defining your data model and and writing tests like in that schema.yaml file and then defining how it fits together there it just makes complete sense. That's one of the things I I, I really like about using Lightdash is that I'm just doing this in one place. It's not in multiple places and it's part of my single workflow. That that's fundamentally something I I think should happen. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, 
All right, uh, I want to come back, um, maybe change the topic a bit, you know, after uh, the tools and uh, AI. Um, I want to come back to, um, in, in the beginning, you we, talk, we just quickly touched on the um, community and DBT Slack community. And mm -hmm. I want to call out, David, um, you're very active in, in the data community. And um, in particular, I remember uh, last year when, you know, when, when Twitter uh, started getting nuked or terraformed or whatever by Elon Musk, <laughs> um, you've, you've established uh, a Mastodon server for, for, for data folks um, to kind of yeah. move there. Um, I'm, so you're, you're there, you're on Mastodon, you're also on Twitter, you're, you're on LinkedIn, I know you're on DBT Slack. So what, what is the community where you spend the most time or where you find the most value as well, maybe? So I think it depends on what kind of value. So I think if you, I, I really like, uh, I, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter anymore. I try not to hmm. tweet, like I, I might retweet or like something, but I, I if I'm going to speak in that way, I'd probably be on Mastodon. Um, and so I enjoy that because it's a really nice place for data people to just talk about their problems and just, you know, even just not talk about data stuff, just because we are a community of people. I really like that. Um, so I do invest there, obviously, as someone who's like an admin there as well. But I really like the DBT Slack and the lo locally optimistic Slacks. So I think that's like a really great place for people to ask for help for like when they're trying to actually achieve something in their work and they don't have someone to ask in their organization. Um, that I, I really valued those communities for that. And then I think LinkedIn as someone who, who has a product to sell, right? LinkedIn is fantastic. There's no better place than LinkedIn um, to, to, you know, if you want to find out about products to buy and if you, if you want to sell a product or if you want to meet people who are like commercially interested in what you're doing, there's, there's no, there's not, there's pretty much nothing else. They've got a monopoly on that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, for for discussions, definitely, I, I would agree with uh, DBT Slack, but especially locally optimistic, I found really, really um, yeah. useful in the past to to get very in depth also discussions and 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 help from from other practitioners who have similar problems and, and had maybe solved them in the past. So yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, so um, I'll for 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 people who are not familiar with with some of these for listeners maybe i'll i'll post these all as links in, in in the show notes as well as to the to your mastodon server i mean mastodon how does maybe maybe a quick a quick overview for people who are not a mastodon how does mastodon work <laughs> so there was this joke going around when everyone started moving to Mastodon was there's that oh Postgres has made a social network right <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it's effectively it's an open source piece of software to have this social server it yes it's heavily based around Postgres and it feels kind of like Twitter to an extent it's a bit different in some ways like there is no ranking algorithm right which is nice because often hmm. ranking algorithms they do kind of accelerate bad activity, bad emotion and hate or, you know, because of the natural it being more emotive and more likely to have engagement. So it's hard for those systems to not do that. And especially when a company like Twitter or Facebook has monetized on engagements and impressions, it's hard for them to get away from that as well. Whereas with Mastodon, they don't, have, there's no rank and you realize how, 
much of the costs of the operations of those other big tech companies are spent on personalization and recommendation because actually just running the the server of send someone a message or post a message and some people interact some people don't and not doing any ranking it's actually quite simple and cheap right that's why mastodon is is relatively straightforward to run for yourself gotcha gotcha all right yeah so uh, again um if if people are interested to join that community which i think is a very a very positive and friendly community um i'll, I'll link that as well um david we're we're coming to the end of our episode is there anything you want to call out um for 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 people maybe in regards to to delphi or anything else we've talked about um yeah with delphi if if you have uh, one of the semantic layers i talked about so dbt like dash metabase we're going to support cube next week and most likelihood if you if you have one of those four and would like to try delphi and you know finding a way for your non-technical users to ask data questions safely please reach out to me or Michael Irvine, my co-founder, or go to delphihq.com and sign up. Um, yeah, so that that would be that would be really cool. Uh, also, value any feedback that, of what people think about. Um, we, have, uh, we have a substack for Delphi, and I also have my own, which is uh, davidsj.substack.com, which some of you may have heard of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a. I, I can second that recommendation. I, I subscribe to your Substack. I definitely rec uh, encourage people to to follow your your newsletters. Uh, always very interesting. Um, well, David, thanks a lot um, for for coming on the show again and this super um, fun conversation about AI and data <laughs> and self serve. Um, I'm so excited to see. I mean, I've. The, the speed at which this is going, I feel like by the time I release this episode, uh, there will be so many new things have happened already. So um, yeah, it was, it was lots of fun talking to you. Thanks, thanks again for coming. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to Analytics Anonymous. If you like the show, please tell your friends and coworkers about it. And don't forget to subscribe. Also, I always appreciate feedback. Every comment or review helps me to improve the show in the future. Feel free to reach out to me directly via email or social media. Take care. Until next time.